Welcome to Politicology. I'm Ron Steslow. We've talked a lot about polling on the show, and I wanted to have a primer on how polls are conducted, what pollsters do, the challenges they're facing, and some of the new solutions they're working on. And there was no better person I could think of to have that conversation with than Scott Tranter. Scott is the former director of data science for Marco Rubio's run for president. He's a co-founder of Optimus, a data and technology company based in D.C. that was recently acquired by Dynata last year. He is also an investor and advisor to Decision Desk HQ and an adjunct professor at American University, where he teaches quantitative and qualitative research in the School of Communication. He's also a personal friend of mine. Scott, thanks for making the time today. Welcome to Politicology. Yeah, welcome. Happy to be here. <laughs> I've really been looking forward to this for a while. Now that you've sold your firm, you can do public things. And uh, this is, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this conversation. Absolutely. So, so am I. Where could I dive in for you and the listeners? Uh, well, I feel like you, the way you described it, we could talk for 10 hours. We, we, <laughs> and we often do. So uh, we have done a lot on polling with Mike Madrid, uh, but you're the first data scientist we've ever had on the show. Okay. So I'd like to start at the beginning with just a level set of, of especially within the realm of politics, electoral politics, what is data science? Um, and maybe take us behind the scenes of running a top-shelf firm that serves political organizations and campaigns, party committees, the whole thing. What is it that they do um, that is so valuable? So I, I think it's funny. When I started Optimus back in 2013, there wasn't many Republican data. In fact, there wasn't any Republican data science firms we had all watched what Barack Obama's campaign did in 2012 and said, this is something we need to do. You know, you look at what Dan Wagner did with Civis after 2012 and what he did on the campaign. We said, okay, this is something we need to do. And at the end of the day, if you think about it, a campaign is simply an alle- a decision-making process to allocate resources. You have so much money to get, you need to get one more vote than the other person or one more vote than everyone else in the field. And that's it. Everything else is for show. And so data science and campaigns is simply to inform the decision makers, if you do this, this is more efficient to getting more votes. If you spend your money here, it's more efficient to get more votes. It is the application of non-emotional, data-driven decision-making, which is funny because in politics, politics is very emotional, right? You know, I've worked with candidates before who said, I want to win this election on education. I'm like, well, yeah, they don't really care about education. They care about the border. <laughs> so that's what they, if you want to win, this is what you got to talk about. And, you know, and I, I always like to think data science is, is, is probably the purest form of distilling what the voter wants to hear about. Um, not necessarily what you think they should hear about or what, you know, is good for democracy or whatever it is. It's, this is, this is what's going to move the most people. You know, you may not like it, you may like it, whatever it is, but this is the distillation of what the voters want to hear. And if this is what you talk to them about and this is how you allocate your resources, this is the best path to victory. And the smart campaigns do that. Very smart campaigns do it. And you know what? We didn't invent this, right? This is no different than financial accounting and businesses, right? If you own a factory, you're like, okay, what do I spend my money on to make the most money? Okay, well, I'm going to buy this machine, not that machine. I'm going to put my factory here and not here. I'm going to spend money on this. I'm going to, uh, campaigns are the same way. You know, it's just they, they, their, their currency isn't sales. Their currency is votes. And so it's, it's the, this process isn't new to, you know, uh, campaigning in general. It's just new to politics. And it's, it is kind of interesting in the sense that when you're selling widgets, you're selling lemonade, or you're selling, you know, hammers or nails, 
It's relatively unemotional. If you know, if you need to do this type of hammer to sell more at Home Depot, then do it this way. If you tell a candidate, no, no, you really can't talk about the border anymore. You should talk about X. They're like, well, that's why I'm running. Or this is this is what I think it is. You know, and so it's it's data science is 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 a little bit of an art, and it's a lot of lot of mathematical cold purity. This is what it is. Yeah. So there's not just the, you know, the discipline of measuring what a voter's thinking or what they want to hear about, right? What are some of the other tools in the toolkit, like modeling? What is modeling? How does that work? And also, how do you, how do you figure out, um, we've talked a little bit about testing messages with Mike on a previous episode, but maybe you can talk us through, you know, how does a campaign go about deciding A, what they should talk about vis-a-vis their own candidate and B, what they should talk about vis-a-vis the opposing candidates, whether it's in a primary or a general. Um, talk about message testing a little bit and then modeling and, and what you do with that information. How does a campaign consume that information? Yeah, so let's start with message testing. Message yeah. testing is simply the empirical version of, I think this is the ad we're going to spend the most money on or this is the mail piece or this is the digital ad. Because again, it goes back to, I want to get one more vote than my opponent. and so being able to test an ad through a randomized control group study gives you that empirical answer. This ad is worth six points. This ad's worth five points. Which ad am I doing? I'm doing the one with six points. It's funny. The ads that you used to see 20, 30, 40 years ago used to be a bunch of people in a room. You know, the most important person in the room would <laughs> the say, highest hey, paid person in the, the room. highest paid person in the room would say, look, I've been winning campaigns for 30 years. I think it's this ad over here. And my gut says... Yeah, my gut says this. And it, it was basically... It was basically, I've been winning longer than you have, That's so right. therefore my my stick is better. And yep. so people like myself came along and said, okay, well, maybe you know something. You're older than I am, so yeah, obviously you must know something. But the data says this was worth six points, and the one you picked is worth five. Which one do you want to go with? Um, and it's still a battle today. You know, you, you hear this both in Republican and Democratic campaigns. You have a lot of people with... with um, you know, preconceived notions and things like that. And, you know, it's, it's, you've probably heard the phrase, you can make the data say whatever you want. Now it's no longer gut instinct. Now it's like, all right, who's going to bring the biggest, you know, data, you know, the most data to kind of color their, their opinion and things like that. And so, you know, if, if five, six years ago, my problem was dealing with, Hey, I have data, you have gut instinct. Now it's, I have data, you have data, whose data is better, yeah. which is, it's, it's, it's progress. At least yeah. we're arguing along the lines of yeah. data. At but- least, at least we're making data-driven <laughs> decisions. I mean, I remember when yeah. it was, it was novel to say, we're going to run, in, you know, internally behind closed doors when the GC, the general consultant, who's sort of like the, you know, yeah. the, the, the boss of the whole operation says, we're going to run a data-driven campaign. Yeah. The first GC to say that was like, what the, wow, he's yeah. actually going to turn it over to the empirical research and we're going to make decisions that way about how to allocate resources. That was novel. And it isn't that new in Republican politics. Yeah, it's not, it's not new. It's, 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 it's one of the things it's very hard for the old guard to give up, right? Yeah. Because if you're the one having the methodology to pick the ad or pick the budget allocation, you're the one who controls what's going on. And so, you know, if you've been making ads for 50 years and campaigns, all of a sudden you're giving it up to some 25 year old kid in sandals and a t-shirt. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. Um, but in the end, it works out. In the end, again, I used to say this all the time. I was like, do you think Pepsi and Coke don't, you know, do you think they have five guys in a room just guessing what works? <laughs> no, they didn't become multi-billion dollar corporations without having some sort of data-driven analysis process, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, I, I contend the business arena has an easier go at it because yeah. when McDonald's wants to test something, they look at the cash register every day and say, yeah. look, I sold more than I sold yesterday. I sold more burgers or whatever it was. 
as campaigns, we have one day sales That's every right. two years. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, we can only t- take that measurement every once in a while. Obviously, there's polls and things like that. Yeah. But a poll doesn't vote, yeah. you know. Yeah. And that's probably a good segue you asked about modeling, yeah. right? Yeah. So there's two Talking types modeling. of modeling. One is forecasting. What is going to happen? And one is, okay, what is happening based on what I know, even though I can't know everything, right? So let's start with the, with the latter first. What do I know based on the little information I have? So, you know, take a, a, a make-believe state of a million people. In a perfect world, you would ask every every person, all one million people, what they think about the day before the election, and then you would be, oh, okay, well, I I know there's five hundred ten thousand people going to vote for my candidate, four hundred ninety thousand people going to vote for the other guy. Um, that's what it is. But in reality, you can't talk to a million people. So what modeling d- allows us to do is talk to a subset of those people, maybe a thousand of them, and then project out what the you know other nine hundred ninety nine thousand people we weren't able to talk to think or are going to do. That's highly valuable for campaigns because it helps them allocate resources. Um, So that's modeling for what information you have. And then there's forecasting, predicting what is going to happen if you do something, right? Or what is going to happen in the future. And the perfect example I give with that is take those million people. We know those million, not all those million people are going to vote. We know that between 600 and 800,000 of them are going to vote depending on the election year and all that kind of stuff. So the first question is, is okay, if I know all million aren't going to vote, what 200 to 400,000 aren't going to vote? Because if they're not going to vote, I've got a decision to make. Do I convince them to vote or do I ignore them? Because I can't, I, I don't have enough money to convince them. Right. I, Which goes I know, to your allocation of resources. Allocation question, of resources. Right? I understand there's some people, listeners who might not like that last statement, Yeah. but it is. It's true. Well, it's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, and I think listeners have been, they, they yeah. will get, because we've talked about this before, the Democratic Party has a major problem in the in the youth vote because they rely on that coalition to turn out. And yeah. that coalition, that that demographic does not turn out to vote in this high propensity as 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 older people do. And it's yeah. a major challenge for them, especially in off-year, in, in midterm elections and off-year elections. Perfect example I'd say in that is, and I think if you're pragmatic about it, you will understand why 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 campaigns have to triage. If I told you it will cost you $10 to get a 25-year-old to come out and vote the way you want or $2 to get a 65-year-old voter to come out the vote way you want mm-hmm. and you only have $10 to spend and you need five votes, are you going to are you going to wait <laughs> what are you going to do, That's right. right? If you want to yeah. win, you're going to spend it on the 65-year-old yeah. because it's cheaper to get them to come out and vote yeah. the way you want. Yeah. It's not quite that simple, but yeah. it is that stark in terms of the trade-off. Yeah. And at the end of the day, data science is there's a lot of tools and forecasting and modeling that allow the campaign managers to make those decisions. Yeah, it, we our job is to make it that simple for. Yeah, it's it's you know I I wish these hundred thousand people over here would come out and vote because if they did they vote for us, but our projections think it's going to take an extra three million dollars. Yeah. Guess what? The campaign only has an extra million. Yeah, and but you know what? We got these other source of voters over here, and they're going to vote for you if you talk about issue X. Yep. It, we it, have a million dollars. Right. We can yeah. do that. We can't do the other. And that's data-driven decision-making. Yeah. Can you can you uh, maybe spend a few minutes on like the difference between uh, how to allocate resources toward turnout versus persuasion? Because you just talked about like the calculation of getting the young person versus the old person to vote and how much that would cost. But what happens when uh, you can afford to get the old person out to vote, but they may not be likely to vote for you, right. and you have to spend some money on persuasion? How yep. do you make allocate? How do you make decisions about? Uh, who to persuade and how persuadable they are. Now, persuadability, <laughs> I know I just introduced like the, you know, the holy grail of data science. Yeah. And and I think we should spend a little time on that. We should. And, and I will use an example I imagine a lot of people remember. 
Remember when Mitt Romney in uh, 2012 said 48%. You know what? It didn't play well. I understand why people didn't like it, but that was about as data-driven of a statement as I've heard out of anyone. Because at the end of the day, what most people realize is most of most voters out of there have already decided, right? Like the, the example I like to give is this is you either like McDonald's or you don't at this point, right? Like there's McDonald's yeah. doesn't have yeah. a whole lot of room yeah. to persuade you people. You know how you feel about it. You know how you feel. <laughs> and you know what? If you like it, you're going to go ahead and buy it. And if you don't like it, then you're not going to do it. And that's kind of where politics is, especially Democratic and Republican is. For the most part, you kind of know how you feel about Democrats or Republicans at this point. So the persuadability piece is very small. I don't know that I necessarily agree with him, you know, because his implication is that there's only about 4% of persuadability. I would probably put it at 10 to 15%. But in terms of where we are ballpark, we're, we're probably, you know, he's not necessarily wrong on that. So there's two parts on this. One is, well, if I already know you're going, you know, I'll use the McDonald's example. If I already know you're going to buy McDonald's, then I am not going to waste my money advertising against you because guess what? I've got your money. You're going to come and buy the Happy Meal. You're going to come and buy the Big Mac. Why would I waste that? I want to go after the 10% who are undecided about McDonald's. Oh, okay. I guess they brought back, you know, I don't know, the Big and Tasty or whatever it is. Or they got, you know, the dollar menu back. That, you know, McDonald's is trying to figure out how they get the 10% of the people who are on the fence about McDonald's, right? And so that is where campaigns have to figure it out. That's where the turnout models come is they say, look, who's going to vote for me no matter what, Right. Now, they may be reminded that I'm on the ballot on Tuesday, November, and I'll spend some money on that. You know, McDonald's may remind you with a coupon here or two that they're still around the corner. But, you know, campaigns are trying to figure out who's in the bag already. And, you know, and more importantly, another ingredient, like who's in the bag and is definitely going to remember that elections on Tuesday and who's in the bag, but like may need a reminder the Sunday before the election that, oh, yeah, go ahead and take the day off. And then there's that real expensive, who's this person who's like, huh? I don't know what I'm eating tonight. I don't know if it's McDonald's. <laughs> I don't know if I'm voting Barack Obama or Mitt Romney. You know what it is? And it, and and, the, and data science is really good at sorting out those three different things. Who's definitely going to vote for me and they're not yeah. going to forget the elections on Tuesday? Yeah. Who's probably going to vote for me? They just need to be reminded the elections on Tuesday. And who's really on the fence? And yeah. I think that last part, that is where the huge battle lines are drawn because I believe America is still a 50-50 country. Um, even after 2020 and 2016 is, you know, Look, Donald Trump got 74 million votes. That's 13 and a half, 14 million more votes than he got in 2016, right? Joe Biden got 84 million votes. The, the huge, huge turnouts. You know, America's quite more divided than everyone thinks. Not everyone thinks what that Donald Trump is the worst person in the world. I understand, you know, depending on what media you watch, you think, how could anyone like this guy? But, you know, there's 75 million Americans who are like, no, 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 this, this, yeah. this is my guy. And as we've talked about yeah. on the show before, the margins in 2020 were narrow, very it was narrow. not, a, a, you 40, know. 40,000 votes across four states right. and this election's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I think we, you know, we 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 lived to fight another day in 2020. We did, this was not a landslide. And, and certainly if you look around the landscape now, you recognize it is not over. Actually, I want to go back to one thing that you mentioned, sample size, right? Yeah. This is something... I think we may have explained this briefly before, but I've seen people on Twitter. I've heard comments from uh, from from people who say, "Well, they didn't poll me, right?" <laughs> this is the common refrain when people want to dismiss polls as being completely invalid or wrong. Yeah. Uh, the sample size of a thousand people to determine what 
300,000 people or think, a million yeah. people think seems to the to the to an average person to an ordinary person seems to be bullshit seems magic. Bullshit magic, yeah. right? Yeah. So can you explain sampling? Yep. And and why why it works? Why, it works, yeah, why, yeah. why that works? So I'm going to pull out this analogy I give at the beginning of the class I teach at American University where I teach polling to yeah. people who have yeah. maybe had a little bit of stats. And then what I tell them is Imagine I have a room of 100 people, right? It's an average mix, men, women, African-American, white, Asian, Hispanic. And I say, look, you got to figure out who likes McDonald's and who likes Burger King. And they're like, that's easy. I'm just going to talk to 100 people. No, no, you only can ask 10. And then you think about it. You're like, well, if I can only ask 10, all right, well, you're probably going to say without a whole lot of teaching, well, I probably don't ask 10 dudes, right? You're like, okay, well, how many women do I think are in the room? It looks to be over 50-50. Okay, if I'm only going to ask 10, I better ask five men, five women. Okay, that's reasonable. And then, then you say, okay, well, I better not ask all white dudes, right? Okay, well, like, I think that's about a third. So maybe I make, if I do five men, maybe there's two, two white guys. And I think, well, there's, there's some African-Americans here and some Asians. So then I'm like, all right, two African-Americans, one Asian. Or one African-American, one Hispanic, one Asian, whatever it may be. And then you say, okay, the women too, right? X, Y, Z. And then you're like, oh, man. I better not ask all the young people. I better ask some old people too. So when I do the five men, make sure I get at least two of them over the age of 40 and two of them under and one random. At that point in that process, that seems logical, right? Like you kind of came to that. Everything I said, it seems like a logical way to, you know, the problem I gave you is you got to figure out who likes McDonald's and Burger King in this room. And you've got, you can ask 10, you can ask all hundred, right? Like that is at the core of it, that is sampling right? You're basically looking at your population and you're making sure that you talk to each what we call cohort equally, right? And a cohort can be, in this case, it's um, gender, age, um, ethnicity, which are three key cohorts when we look at polling, right? Like now you can do others, you can do income, you can do education. You know, I've seen some, I've done some weird polls where it's, no, no, I want to make sure they own minivans. Mm. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Or I want to make sure they're homeowners and not renters. That can be a cohort. You can make anything a cohort. You can make left-handed, right-handed a cohort, but generally- Depending on what you're trying to measure. Depending on what you're trying to measure, right? And so like in a non-political polling, right? Like if you're, if you like, if you're, like we did this non-political poll, um, people who, um, uh, uh, it was for for a company that wanted to sell boats. And so like, guess what? They wanted to make sure there were cohorts of people at different income levels, but also people who were um, within 10 miles of the coast because if you live in the middle of nowhere like and you're not near not gonna water, buy a boat <laughs> not gonna buy a boat so you had to cohort it that way so but in politics it's it's sampling is basically what it is and and there is there's quite a bit just google um uh, statistical sampling and there'll be you know 50 youtube videos with long proofs and why it works but at the end of the day statistical sampling is making sure you get a representative sample from the population in which you're trying to figure out what they think, and then pulling that sample out. Now, here's the problem. The United States is not a room of 10 people. And we don't. We might argue about whether or not there's three African-Americans in a room of 10 people, or, you know, whether it's 20% or 30%. You know, we might argue about um, whether or not, you know, again, you see this all, I see this all the time on Twitter. People are arguing, oh, that's an R plus three poll, and that state's R plus two. Okay, well, basically what they're saying is, you sampled way too many Democrats or too many Republicans. That's not representative of the state. You know, so you get a lot of people arguing about, okay, what's the, you know, we, we all agree you should stratify your sample and do different cohorts. We, we think you talk to too many Republicans and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That is where the art comes in because there is, there is an argument, right? Like 
in the state of Florida, the, the polling in there, it's always like, oh, that 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 poll's dem skewed. Um, you know, it's it should be an R plus two, and instead it's a D plus two. Um, and basically what they're saying there is when they pick the cohorts of gender, age, it, you know, um, ethnicity, and then they did party affiliation, which is a common one, they 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 said they overestimated how many Republicans are in the state and then asked too many Republicans. Okay. That's fine. You can argue about that. Um, Which then skews your decision-making. This it, is the reason we care about it, It right? just skews your decision-making. And this is where the modeling comes in. Because I think polling 20, 30 years ago, it was one number. This is what it is. Mm-hmm. This is what this is the meal I cooked. <laughs> I don't care. You're going to eat it. Yeah. Modeling came in, and, and we do it a lot. Is like, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe it's not R plus 2. We're going to keep this R plus 2 poll over here. I know you don't like it, but we're going to keep it. Yeah. And we're going to do the D plus 2. Because that's what you think it is. Yeah. And we're going to look at both numbers. And we're going to be like, okay. What's the middle? What's what's the middle? Or what scenario do we actually believe is the one? one eight? Let's have this debate. You know, if you honestly believe it's the R plus two is is the route or is wrong, then then but let's at least look at it, right? Yeah. Like let's let's look at all data points. Let's not dismiss it because we don't like it. Which is why when you I'm sure your listeners probably, you know, are 538 or even RCP, I understand they have issues, but I think they're still good. Yeah. The poll, the polls. I don't look at one poll, I look yeah, at 10 polls. That's right. Even the even what I, if even if I think it's a bad poll. Yeah. You, you look, you at, look the blend. at them all. Yeah. Yeah. You look at the blend. Now there is some, there is some, you know, minimum threshold. You know, yeah. I might not think the poll's great, but you still gotta yeah. have some minimum threshold stuff. Like most polls you should look at, they should always have large sample sizes. So if you're doing a state, you know, at least four or five hundred, if you're doing a congressional, at least two or three hundred, and by yep. and large, most polls are larger than that. They should talk about what their sampling is. Like, did they call them? Did they do online? Whatever it is. And they should talk about what the uh, cross tabs are and what cohorts they use. You know, if they're like, oh, we just called random people. We didn't care whether it was too many males or females. That's a red flag. Yeah. You know, you that's may- what you got like a RDD. Anytime you see an RDD poll, <clears throat> random digit dial, Dialing. that's pretty much what it is. There's no thought on the fore- on the on the foreground. Right. It's just like spray and pray. Right? Spray and pray. <laughs> RDD. There are some RDDs that do cohorts, but mo- by and large. If you see an RDD now, yes, it doesn't have that. <laughs> and if they say they do, they should have some really good documentation about yeah. how they did cohorts yeah. and things like that. But by and large, like I, I'm sure, like Trafalgar, right? Like that's a, that's a pollster that's that's pretty controversial out there. You know, I, I don't. I and, and this is why I'll use the cooking example. I don't know that I would cook a meal the way that that guy does a poll, right? I don't know that I'd poll that way. But I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's a different way to cook a meal, and it's a different data point, and it's very helpful. To understand what the landscape is because his his poll and I'll use the cooking analogy his cooking is reflective of how he thinks the world is yeah. and that's not necessarily a bad worldview yeah. right like you you may disagree with his politics but that's emotion I'm just dealing in data yeah right he constructed the poll based on the data that he thinks is correct yeah and okay fine I'm not saying I gotta agree with it but I'm gonna take that in with the with the you know with the d- data for progress poll that I also think I don't think they're bad but they're, they're not exactly nonpartisan either and so, you know, it's one of those things. I, I think that's what people have to look at with polls is don't, don't, don't look at the one, look at them all and then average them out and then make a decision based on your worldview, right? Like same way you would pick a meal. Look, I'm not saying Domino's is bad. I just like the crust of pizza better, <laughs> right? Like, I'm sorry. That's, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. And that's how people should look at it. Yeah. Okay. So there's art and science. There's art, and, there's art and objectivity here. And there's also, okay, you might, okay, if you, if you, if you construct a poll in a certain way, that that reflects the way you think the world is, the way you think the political landscape is anyway. But there's also a day of reckoning, 
yeah. which is where you write, right. right? We have we have one of those every two years, you know, give or take, you know, uh, the off-year elections in Virginia and New Jersey. Day. And we have election <laughs> day, right? Yeah. And so on election day, we get to find out, well, how close were the pollsters? How right. close was the meal to reality? Right. Right? You want to talk a little bit about that? Validating yeah. the work? So if we look at 2020, and there's, again, this is where it's like everyone brings data to the table now, which is good. Yeah. But everyone brings pieces of the data to the table yeah. that supports their angle. <laughs> I would argue, here's where I'm arguing. I don't think the polls were that off in 2016 or 2020. I don't think the forecast models were off in 2016. I don't think the forecast models were dead on in 2020. Yeah. I understand that may be controversial, but let me, let's break it down for 2016. I believe the polling error overall across all the battleground states in 2016, I'm going to say this and someone's going to drop a comment so oh, how wrong that, I am. We, that happens all the time. It's like in the high ones, <laughs> okay. right? Like one eight, one nine, maybe it's two, two, one. Two point polling error is not horrible, right? Is it bad? Absolutely. Especially when on a 50-50 race, but polls are not designed to be point specific. That's right. why they have margin of error. Right. Even, even if you have a sample size of 10,000, you're going to have a margin of error of one, one and a half usually. So yeah. like, Anyone who looks at a poll and says, hey, it says it's 5149 and and wants to, you know, die on die on the cross, it's 5149. No, something new to tell you. 5149 <laughs> in a poll is not 5149. No. 5149 could be tied. anywhere from 54 yeah, to right. 46, yeah. either way, you know. Yeah. So uh, that that that's one thing. And the other thing I would say is in the model, like Nate Silver and and you know, I'm I'm biased. I'm a competitor at Decision Desk. We have a competing model. And, you know, I'll do a little plug. Our model was yep. better than Nate Silver's model in 2018 <laughs> and better is the best model in 2020. We got it peer reviewed by the Harvard Data Science Review. Yeah, Decision really Desk HQ is the shit. We, it actually has a fantastic reputation. We try to be and we want to be the nonpartisan. We want to show our work and have it audible. And But but again, I would say, don't just look at my model. Look at them all. You know, there's yep. some good ones. Elliott's got a good model. 538's got a good model. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the 2016, you know, Nate Silver wrote, I think the Sunday before the election on Tuesday, that um, Donald Trump had a 30% chance of winning, right? That happens, right? Like 30% yeah. happens. You know how often 30% happens? Yeah. One in three times, Yeah. right? Like that is not out of the realm yeah. of possibility. Right. For, for, for your listeners who gamble, yeah. you know, and they put something on red yeah. or they play craps in Vegas yeah. or they're like playing blackjack, like, yeah. They are thirty percent odds are pretty good. Pretty actually. good. In fact, a lot of a lot of if you're a gambler, you're going to bet on thirty yeah, percent all the time. Absolutely. And so, and and it's not like he said that after he wrote this article. You go Google it. Nate Silver five thirty eight. You know, model right before the election. I think the article will be top three that comes up in Google. He published it the Sunday before the election. He basically oh, wow. said thirty percent chance happens. You know. Yeah. And and everyone looked at it, you know, the Huffington Post had a model, you know, 99%, and even 99% is not 100, you know, like, I think people understand probability, because even if you've never taken a stats class, you understand one and two, you understand yeah, one right. and three. Right. And that's essentially what these models are doing is they're boiling it down to a gambling line. All right. And that's what Nate Silvers did in 2016. He, he gave Trump a one and three. And guess what? If I had a million dollars and I had to bet. Yeah. I'm not betting on Donald Trump because it's yeah. 30%. You gave me a 70% option. Okay, that's what I'm betting on. Yeah. And that's that's not a bad bet, but but one out of three times it is a bad bet. <laughs> you know, and, and I think that's kind of where it is. And then you look at you look at 2020. Look, at the end of the day, Joe Biden got as many electoral votes as Donald Trump did in 2016. That was a landslide oh, victory. Oof. Right? Like, think yeah, about that for a second. That's right. Everyone thinks it was close because they had to wait four days yeah. for the results. That's not how we measure closeness in right, in American right, politics. Right, we right, measure it right. by the electoral college. Yeah. The guy got 314 electoral votes. That's yeah. how, you know, 
he blew out yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah. Electoral. That's how we move. We don't right. measure it on how long it takes the, the elections to make. We don't measure it on how many votes he won Pennsylvania by. We don't measure it on X, Y, Z. It's electoral votes. And in electoral votes and how we measure elections, it was a blowout for Joe Biden. So all the models, and, and again, most of the good models, including the DDHQ one, they had a probability of victory, but they also tell you how many electoral votes we think right. the candidate will get. Right. And we had Joe Biden getting 320 electoral votes, I think, somewhere around there. So we were six electoral votes. I think 538 had low 300s as well. Like most of the models, not only they predict the right winner, but like yeah. they got the right How electoral, they get there, Which is right? the point yeah, of the models. Which is the point. Right, yeah, like everyone right. forgets that. It's not- it comes how, down to the state. It's not the popular vote, folks. That's not yeah. what we're, right? Yeah, we're not doing that. And that's why like everyone beats up on the uh, Washington Post for doing that 17 point poll. Um, you know, Donald Trump is- um, I, I can't. Uh, it was, they had Donald Trump up seventeen in Wisconsin or something like that. It, like it, it's not about one poll. It's yeah, that poll was poll. off, but yeah. the electoral votes are what it's at. And I yeah. think that's what people. That's where I I like to reoriented people on like polling's broken or modeling's. It's like no, no, no. You gotta you gotta understand what you're reading and you gotta understand how to interpret it. Um, and and then take it all. Don't take one data point. Like don't look at a Trafalgar poll and be like it's over. Don't look at a Data for Progress poll and think it's over. Don't look at, you know, a model from XYZ and think it's over. Yeah. Take also, it all in. And also, don't ever look at a national poll, period. <laughs> right? <laughs> I would say look at the national polls are for advanced users of this stuff. Right? Like, first of all, and again, it was like national polls doesn't measure anything. We're not a national. We don't elect we don't, our president. We don't a national have poll. a national election. Yeah. There's some good data you can pull out of there about like, generic ballot and things like that. But that's that's a bank shot. That's advanced analysis, yeah. I would say. Yes. You know. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And it's it's just it for for the vast majority of people, it's just not useful and actually uh misleading. Yeah. Since we were talking about sort of behind the scenes on the campaign, yeah. why don't we talk a little bit about the different roles that intersect with polling on a yeah. campaign? Who are the people making decisions about what questions should be asked? Um, and who are the people who you know need that data so they can do their jobs? So I would say at the end of the day, most uh, what I would call modern, well-funded campaigns. So think of they got about a budget of a million or greater. So that's all congressionals a fair amount of state ledge, you know, state house, state senate, certainly all senate, obviously the presidential, they will have a bevy of consultants and full-time staff and they will have a campaign manager, they will have a media consultant, they will have a pollster, they might have a, a policy person and then they have a series of staff. Polling is <coughs> used for digital digital <coughs> Yeah. Well, we should talk a little bit about digital. I feel like digital shouldn't be a department anymore. It should be pervasive. It should be. It's the whole thing. It should it's be the a, whole goddamn thing. Yeah. It's it's the new field. It's yeah. the new finance. Yeah. It's the new. It's, yeah. It's how we do it. It started out as the redheaded stepchild yeah. in the in the in the basement, and now literally digital just runs everything. Yeah. 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 And anyway. it it raises all the money. Yeah. It communicates with all the voters. Yeah. It it does all that. But at the end of the day it's polling's used for a couple different things on campaigns. One is it's a measuring stick, right? Like, look, for the staff who works on it and the candidate, like, it's the only feedback they get about whether they're doing well or not, whether they're going to win or not. So it's a feedback thing. And I would say that's probably the least useful aspect of polling. It scratches an itch, it feeds the beast, but it's not necessarily helpful to winning the campaign. But that is one of the main reasons why campaigns do polls. The other reason is to inform activities. So let's let's talk about informing field activities. Okay, 
you can use polling to understand where you're doing geographically in your district or in your state. So that can inform where you're going to put offices. You can use polling to figure out what the top issues are, which helps in policy and debate prep, helps in digital communications, all that. And then you can use polling to inform modeling, which tells you what we talked about earlier. Look, there's a million voters here. These are the 300,000 I can persuade, or these are the 200,000 I got to do. If these are the 200,000, here it is the field staff. Here it is the digital. Here it is the candidate. It's, you know, it, it, if it's used correctly, it informs resource allocation across all different mediums. It also informs what the candidate thinks is important and not important. Because, you know, and, and a lot of people may not like this, but like whenever someone says, oh man, this is just poll testing. Well, well, good. Well, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm, yeah. I'm glad they asked the people what they thought, <laughs> right? Like, and again, I'm biased. I think polls are accurate. I think yeah. these are all good. Like, if it's not poll tested, then it's just some guy then who's doing what he thinks. That. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. want to hear what the voter thinks about. Now, you may not like the voter only wants to talk about the wall on the border or the yeah. voter only wants to talk about, you know, forgiving student debt or whatever yeah. it is. I'm not saying whether yeah. you like it or not, but I do want to know what the voter thinks. Yeah. And so that that's where I think the more I hear that a campaign is poll tested to, to the to the T, I think that's a good thing because they're, you know, a, a candidate in a representative democracy, you need a candidate who, who is, you know, at least reacting their constituents. Yeah. It can also be used to, I, I wish it were used for this more. And I'm going to get a little bit more esoteric out of the, yeah. out of the dollar, you know, pure dollars and cents. It should be used as a leadership tool. It just should be used as a, look, I, I see this all the time. You might ask people about education, right? Do they think it's important? And yes, a lot of people think this is important, but they may not think it's more important than inflation. Well, a leader would look at that and say, education might be the thing that solves our problems over the next 30 years. So a leader will make educate, will convince the people that education is important over whatever other issue it is. Yeah. Right. And I use education. Or as figure strong. out a way to take them from inflation to education. To education. Right. Yeah. And, and I use education as a straw man argument. Insert whatever it is sure. here. Yeah, a yeah, leader yeah, yeah. will use will use the data to guide the constituency to where they need to go. Um, I don't think you see that a lot on either party these days. Um, but I but I think that's that's a use for polling. You know, it's like, look, this is it's not people don't think this is important. They just don't think it's important enough. But they should. It's a way to find out how to meet them where they are exactly. and take them where you want yeah. to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's why but I don't look that that takes skill. Yes. That takes unusual leadership. skill. Leadership. leadership. Yeah. You gotta be like, okay, I understand this isn't number one today, but it will be in the future. The sports analogy is this is I understand we're we're not gonna make the playoffs, but I'm gonna get us there by changing the strategy, changing how we play. I'm gonna bring us there. Uh okay. Really quickly, I don't think that we sufficiently uh explain the difference between polling and modeling. Yep. And we probably ought to do that just to just to level set with folks. So, yep. how, what's the how do you describe how do you how do you sort of convey to a to an ordinary audience the difference between polling and modeling? Sure. Uh, generally speaking, polling is very macro, top line, forty nine, fifty one percent. Modeling is very granular. This is what you, Ron Steslow, think. This is versus what you, um, so and so, think. It's also forecasting. Polling is simply, as soon as the poll's done, it's starting to decay. Snapshot. It's a snapshot. Whereas modeling can be used to, this is where it could go. This Predict. is where it's going. Okay. Not all modeling is that, right? So there right. are some modeling that is, no, it's just 
a snapshot. Yeah. And then there's, you can do a form of modeling the forecasting. This is where it's going. Yeah. Okay. That's really helpful. And probably so folks can uh, have, have something to compare this to. The modeling that Google might do right. is the predictive kind, right? right. That, so can you, can you give, like, what does Google do when you're searching for something? It's predicting that you are looking for. Yes, it's right? predicting you're looking for a hammer today or it's like, and it, and and that is that is more of a, a, I wouldn't call it a forecasting. It's it's more of a, you know, look, it's, it's, it's like in voting, it's like, I know these chunks of voters care about um, taxes. And so I'm pretty sure this chunk of voters over here who I haven't asked yet are also care about taxes because they're similar. Google's doing the same thing. They're like, okay, I'm pretty sure this person, you know, it's spring in Northern Virginia. Everyone needs miracle Grow now. So this is what we're going to do. That's what Google does. You might look at it as airplane airfares, right? They're predicting what the price of gas is going to be. And then they're using And also how much you're going to be willing to pay for it. What you're willing to pay yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And so that is forecasting. That is using data about, okay, I think I can charge $800 for this ticket versus 700 The political equivalent of that is you might look at a 538 model that says, hey, if you adjust this issue here or you, you know, talk, if you insert this dollar amount here, this is where we think the electorate's going to be, right? So that's forecasting. That There's not as much, I think a lot of, I'm glad you're giving me the time to explain this. Not all modeling is forecasting um, and it can be either and not, and polling is not modeling at all. Polling is, it's, Take it's, a picture. It's a take a picture and we use polling to inform modeling. Right. I couldn't have modeling unless I had polling, but I can have polling and not have modeling. Right. Okay. This is good. I, and, yeah. and I hope uh, we get questions about this because I'm, because it's, um because I understand this, right? Yeah. I, I work in this space or did work in this space. So um, I want to make sure that our listeners are following along. So I hope if this doesn't make sense to you, if you have questions about this, please email us at podcast at politicology.com so that as we have more of these uh, uh, more sort of technical conversations, we can uh, we can unpack the stuff that we're not making clear. So um, there's one other thing before we move on from the technical stuff. Um, you mentioned cohorts earlier. Yeah. And the different cohorts that political polling uh, relies on, like age, uh, gender, race, ethnicity, right? Why are those identity markers the cohorts that we use in political polling? Why are those oh, the things question. that seem to be used as predictive or as as representative to determine what someone's attitudes toward a policy or a candidate might be? Why are those the things and why not other things? Um, you know what? I, I <laughs> <laughs> There's a bunch of different answers for this. Okay. I don't know. You could probably, if you got a bunch of PhDs in survey methodology, they probably would all disagree. So I'll give you my answer. Okay. And I'm sure you've got one of these listening like, Scott doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> um, part of the reason is it's cost, right? Like if I choose a cohort that says, guess what? I want to make sure I have an equal amount of Toyota Camry drivers and an equal amount of Tesla drivers. That is statistically okay. But man, is that really expensive to get? Yeah. I've got I got to call you and ask you whether you're a Tesla driver or have a file that tells me that. So that's pretty expensive. And then you buy that. Yeah. You got to do all those things. Age and gender and ethnicity. Like everyone's got one of those. Right. So I can, you know, I, I, I can do, I can, I, it's, it's a costing thing. Also from a mathematical standpoint, you know, technically speaking, the more cohorts you have, the better, right? Like we would do in private, in public polling, you usually see three to four cohorts In good private polling, you'll see five to six. It'll be the age, gender, party affiliation that you'll probably see a lot in public polling. Mm -hmm. And then they'll put on education, 
maybe income, mm-hmm. uh, maybe geography, you know, other yeah. things, yeah. you know, and, and that costs more money, but that gives you more granularity. Um, I, I think you see age, gender, um, ethnicity a lot is just because it's ubiquitous. Everyone's got one. So I can at least, you know, and and again, my my example, room full of 10 people. Yeah. You know, I I know everyone's got an age, gender, ethnicity. So I can right. at least, I don't have to worry about you not owning a yeah. Tesla. Yeah. So I got to create another cohort for Toyota Camrys. Yeah. Well, not only do you know that they have those things, you also know what they are, right? right. You have the data available yeah. to you. You can yeah. look at someone and and, and deduce their, yeah. their age, gender, yeah. ethnicity, right? This As is the other to- probably controversial <laughs> point. Yeah. We are, <laughs> people are stereotypable yeah. based on these attributes. Yeah. I know people don't like to hear yeah. that, but like, yeah. look, the, men as a cohort think a certain way. Yep. You know, women as a core think a certain way. Men who live in Louisiana with an income between 35 and 55, that is, they we think We generally certain, know what yeah, they think about Yeah, I, I know yeah. we don't like to, yeah. it is stereotyping. Yeah. I don't understand. It's we profiling. Don't, but, <laughs> That's but what it is. Statistics yeah. has shown that these right. things are accurate. And it's 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 how we do those things is and again, it's accurate. It's it's the the point of statistics is just to be more accurate than just straight guessing, right? Like, and that's why I like to if you look at a poll and think it says fifty one forty nine, I think it's exact. You're looking at it wrong. I'm not saying that all thirty five to fifty five year old men who make between thirty five and fifty five grand in Louisiana think a certain way. I'm just saying, I, I, if you give me all of them, I, I could probably guess more. Yeah. I, I'm better but, than random. But since I can't ask each and every one of them exactly what they think and tally that yeah. up and then make my decision based on that information, I'm going to take the most educated guess possible yeah. to allocate the resources on the campaign to yeah. exactly where I think I can win. Exactly. Based, right? That's exactly. the point. Yeah. You know, kind of along those lines, I was in a, I was in a call a while back and they were like, how do we find the the soft Republicans? And that someone had ideas like, we should figure out what Republicans subscribe to the New York Times. And I'm just like, it's not a horrible idea. <laughs> it's, it's like one of the, in fact, it's probably, you know, methodologically, okay, I get that. But the only reason why we didn't do it is like, well, I can't get a list of every, I can get a list of every Republican. I can't get a list of New York Times subscribers. I guess you could ask them, but the incidence rate, like New York Times, I don't know, six, seven million. I'm probably way off here, but you know, there's 250, 240 million voters, maybe 10 million New York Times. So it's like finding a needle in a haystack. But like, you know, like the 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 reason why I bring that example up is look, the 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 supposition was New York Times subscribers think a certain yeah. way, right? Like yeah. I could certainly be, I'm sure I'll be on a call now in the next six months or year. Someone's like, yeah, can you find me the Democrats who watch OAN? <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. Right. You know, like, and again, the, yeah. the, the theory behind this, it's people, people understand that people group yeah. based on certain demographics. Yeah. Right. And it works. And I mean, we see this all the time in, in medicine too. When you see medicinal studies, you know, proper medicine studies, they, you know, they, they do studies that show if you're African-American, you have a higher proclivity for this type of disease. It's not because you're African-American or maybe it is, but like, they, that's just how they look at it. Or if you're, you know, if you live in, you know, if if you're if if you're Hispanic with lower income, you're more likely to have this type of disease, and it might be because you're lower income and all that kind of stuff. But like, this is how it's. But at the top line, yeah, you you have you have a decision to make, yeah. and that's the, for for whatever the underlying reasons might be. Yeah, you have a decision to make, and the top yeah. line informs that decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think people got to the data is not making a judgment on right. those people. It's just following 
look, it works this way. There yeah. are cohorts, you yeah. know? Yeah. We, we know, I mean, yes, I, I'm sure you, there's people on listening to your show. Every Fox News voter is a Republican. I don't know if everyone is, but yeah. that's not a fair, that's not an unfair characterization. Right. Yeah. Just like uh, there's, you got probably some listeners like every, you know, New York Times reader is a screaming liberal. Not wrong, but not yeah. 100% right, but not wrong. Not, not 100% right, but also a, a reasonable assumption to make if you have to make a decision, decision. that matters. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 If you have to. And that's yeah. what polling is. Age, gender, ethnicity. That's essentially what it is at the end of the day. Whoo, boy. Yeah. How are we doing? Are we warming up? I think so. I think so. <laughs> Thank you to everyone at home and on the go for listening. And make sure you're subscribed so you get notified when the second part of this conversation drops next week. If you haven't yet, we'd appreciate it if you could open up the Apple Podcasts app and give us a five-star rating and review over there. This helps us rise in the rankings so that new people can discover politicology organically. If you have questions about anything we've talked about, you can reach us, as always, at podcast at politicology.com. And even when we can't respond, we do read everything you send us, whether it's an episode idea, a guest recommendation, or just a simple note about how the show has impacted you. And we love hearing from you. I'm Ron Steslow. I'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>